1: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today
2: with Byte. This episode of The Protocol is sponsored by the Algorand Foundation. Dive deep into the blockchain realm with The Protocol Podcast. With Coindesk founding editor
3: of the Protocol Newsletter, Brad Count, and tech journalists Sam Kessler and Margot
2: Nykirk, they unravel the intricate technologies powering cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum, one block at a time. Just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice.
3: Hello and welcome. Welcome to the Protocol Podcast. I'm Brad Cowan here with my co-host Margo Nykirk and Sam Kessler, who's been down covering the Sam Bankman free trial at the Federal Courthouse in Manhattan and was kind enough to join us remotely down there last week, but is here with us in real life today, Sam. We're happy to join us. Welcome. Excited to be here. Yeah, Welcome. Well, let's get right into it. As we say, with the latest news and developments in technology behind crypto and blockchains in our first segment, we will be talking about Scroll's main network goes live. Margo, you want to just give us a quick rundown on what the news was here?
0: Yeah, so Scroll, a layer two to Ethereum, shared that their mainnet went live on Tuesday, though blockchain data suggests that their smart contract was already deployed on October 8th so it's a little ambiguous in terms of why they waited so long to announce that they went live but regardless it's it's up and running basically this adds scroll to the already uh, growing field of newer zk rollups that have hit the market and basically for those who don't know the difference between an optimistic rollup and a zk rollup is that both bundle up transactions and post it to ethereum but on an optimistic rollup the transactions are assumed to be true unless proven otherwise and ZK rollups use zero knowledge cryptography to share a little bit of that information from those transactions that, yes, that is part of the bundle. But we have a clip of uh, Sandy Peng, the co founder of Scroll, who talked about this earlier this week on CDTV. And let's hear what she has to say.
2: So we're a ZK EVM, and that means compared to some of the earlier rollups of the optimistic variety, um, ZK rollups as a whole provides instant finality. And, and that's very important for um, high stake transactions and for any particular kind of on-chain transactions where users prefer to bridge back the funds instantly. And that is really important for pretty much most of the DeFi primitives that we see on-chain today. I think compared to the sum of the DK row ups that currently exist in the space, scroll is meeting developers where they are, so part of our launch slogan is called copy, paste, and deploy, because anyone who is an existing EVM developer can copy, paste, and deploy their existing Ethereum application on scroll. So we've taken two years um, and a very painstaking and a very complicated engineering process in order to build something that is EVM equivalent. So essentially replicating every Ethereum bytecode, and um, so as to provide developers exactly the same experience as building on Ethereum
1: layer one. Cool. So one of the things that I thought was interesting that Sandy brought up there is she alluded to the differences between Scroll and some of these other products that you mentioned, Margo, that have launched recently with on their face the same technology of Scroll, which is a ZK rollup. But Scroll is kind of taking this sort of more in their telling, rigorous approach to the ZK rollup to allow developers to literally in her words copy paste and deploy code onto their platform so without getting into the you know super super nitty-gritty the reason why she kind of talks about this whole copy paste and deploy thing as a differentiator for for scroll is that all of these zk platforms take a different approach with regards to how they interpret code from developers and then port it into their systems and scroll's approach at least in their telling is even more EVM equivalent meaning it's even more similar to how Ethereum works natively. It's something called bytecode level, you can read about it on CoinDesk but without getting into all the nitty-gritty. Um the interesting thing here is that just, you know, scroll, they took a long time to develop relative to their competitors because they think that their approach is better, but you know, we'll see if that actually plays out. Margo, I wonder if you've looked at any of the numbers that I've seen on like usage data. Have you seen any well, I was
0: actually just going to ask you about that because I haven't looked at those numbers and I was wondering, as you mentioned that it's geared towards developers who basically can just copy paste from this Ethereum environment. Is that really like a, a big in demand approach that developers want or do they have to poach developers from the Polygon and Matter Labs ecosystems like, or DK yeah. Sync ecosystems? Like, I wonder where this sort of falls in the other rollups that have like hit market earlier Yeah, this it's year. a
1: good question because right there's the developers and there's users. So Scroll will, th- will say that they needed to take the approach that took them much longer than some of their competitors to create something that is more seamless for developers. Whether that's true, we'll have to ask some more developers now that this is live. But, you know, on the user end, they probably don't really care all that much as long as they can use these products that are built atop the ZKEVM. And um, they probably, honestly, I-, I think it's fair to say, won't really notice much of a difference. So the fact that Scroll took longer to launch Might have put them at a comparative disadvantage when it comes to people looking to engage in a vibrant ecosystem. Brad, I I wonder what you think about all that. Well,
3: just to break it, you know, I'm just following up on your point about what the statistics are showing so far. Um, And I just went to l 2 beat which is kind of Mm -hmm. what a lot of people use as the primary source for these all these layer twos. So, depending on when you when you mark their starting point from, as as Margot was saying, they they launched last week, according to the blockchain data. So they've been up and running about a week, or, you know, their official announcement was just uh, over the past couple of days. But you know, they have five million dollars. That's within M um, of t- of total value locked, which is kind of the way that these things are measured. It's like deposits into the various, you know, DeFi apps or protocols on that on that blockchain versus, you know, number one Arbitrum, which is obviously, you know, an optimistic roll up, one of the early movers is $5 billion, $5.7 billion. (laughs) So, I mean, it just shows, you know, we're talking about, you know, the broader question of first mover advantage, you know, is it better to get out early? With something that's a little bit lesser, or wait until you've got it just right and come out—you know—a couple of years after everybody else has been out.
0: Yeah, I also, you know, I think it's—it'll be curious to see if they come out with their own stack, or as Sam has coined the term "blockchain in a box," which I love, and we'll be using that more on the show. But you know, we've talked a lot about Polygon has a stack and the OP stack that uh, Base is using. There's, you know, Manta announced this week that it was going to use the op stack now it's going to use the polygon stack so i wonder like will scroll come out with their own stack is that what's next and who's gonna like who's gonna go on to that stack if it's the case i'm just you know asking more questions than, than i have answers
1: i mean one like final note here you mentioned base specifically so obviously it's unfair like you said brad to compare you know scroll to some of these first movers because they've only been around for like nine days so when you look at total value locked which again isn't a perfect measure and and yada 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 you know obviously they're going to be smaller even if that doesn't matter but one thing that we can say definitively is that scroll unlike coinbase's blockchain base did not have some sort of like viral thing that pulled people in base famously or infamously had like you know some projects that people got rugged from that launched around the time base launched that pulled people immediately at the very least into the ecosystem they also have friend tech which is that you know crazy social app that i don't know if we've talked about it on the show but that is something that's based on base and, and scroll. If it wants to attract users is going to need to have one of those, you know, killer apps. And and we haven't seen that yet. So people are obviously anxious.
3: There's so many of these networks, you know, I mean, I'm just, just looking at this L2B mm-hmm. scroll is number 23. Let's say they have some really, you know, interesting technology. I mean, that'll be interesting. You know, a base they had kind of a different value proposition because they kind of brought the Coinbase brand and firepower behind that one. And, but Scroll is basically competing on technology alone in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's just so many of these networks.
1: They did raise $50 million at an over, I think, a billion dollar valuation. I should check the exact numbers. So, you know, there are stakes here for them, which is why it is worth talking about. the the traction that we have seen or or haven't seen. It's not just like they can just put this up and if it doesn't gain traction, nothing will happen.
3: All right, well, let's move on to our next topic here, which we highlighted in the protocol newsletter and our colleague Christian Shondor wrote about last week, which is the Ethereum uh, blockchain almost clearing out this validator queue. And what is that? That is... Uh, basically all the validators that were waiting to get on to the Ethereum blockchain to stake there. You have to put 32 ETH on to, to stake on Ethereum. And of course, the incentive to do that is you get rewards in the form of the staking yields. And earlier in the year, this queue, there were so many validators trying to get on that it was... Forty five days, literally a forty five day wait, which was kind of bullish for Ethereum. Ethereum,
0: totally you know, mm-hmm. it was a
3: pretty bullish sign. All these people wanted to get on and stake. And now it's basically down to nothing. So, I mean, the line is cleared out. I think about it like, you know, when you're at Costco. Or-
0: <laughs> we were talking about how it was like a like a roller coaster ride, right? Like how people are excited about this new ride, and all of a sudden, people have gone on the ride and and are not as excited about it anymore. and And now there's like less of a weight to go on that ride. so but hey, right. hey, there's
1: there's good and bad things oh no about I, this. I, about I, this yeah. queue. Uh, uh, like we're
3: just trying to draw some references here to make it, <laughs> more. yeah, what it means is the key thing that we talked about a couple of weeks ago was that Ethereum devs were getting super worried that there were going to be too many validators and they actually tried to slow down the pace of them getting on. Now it's, you know, they may not have to worry about that.
0: Yeah, we'll have to see. Cause for the moment, like that specific EIP, that's going to limit the amount of validators per epoch from like now it's at 12, it'll go down to eight is still sort of being included in the upcoming upgrade. So we'll see. I also, you know, I, I wonder if this just sort of reflects where the market is at, you know, there's, there's less activity, so there's less rewards. People are less excited about it. Staking on Ethereum has only really been available since, well, since Chapella, And then, you know, there was the merge before that um, and when it switched to proof of stake. So I wonder what this queue will look like when we'll be in a bull market. Yeah.
1: Just to back up a little bit too, like when Ethereum switched to proof of stake, staking yields were in the range of like 10% which is kind yeah. of similar to the S&P 500, but I don't think, not many people would argue, maybe some people would argue, I should be careful here, it's a crypto tech podcast, but is Ethereum as reliable as the S&P? I'm not sure. 10% though is an enticing number. Then it dropped to around 5% in the past six, or six to 10 months, maybe even more recent. And then in even more recent months, it's been 3.5%. And again, there's like a lot of like overhead costs on top of just, you know, staking your Ethereum that could make it a kind of risky endeavor. Like if you're you know, staking yourself, if you screw up, you can have your stake slashed, meaning your yield, you, know, you get that 3%, but you also get penalized if you, for some reason, don't operate as you're supposed to, uh, you know, according to the, the network's rules. But anyway, just like big picture thing here is that with fewer people in line to stake, That means that we might have a plateau in the number of overall stakers, which means that every individual staker will get a bigger or at least consistent slice of the pie in terms of rewards, which could be some sort of an incentive, at least for some people to come in. You know, maybe we're going to see this 3.5% yield rate sort of hover, you know, at the same number. and. Be consistent. I don't know, Brad. What do you? Look well, like I was just say saying. Something?
3: You know, I mean, the slashing—that is a real risk. You know, even Lido, which is the you know the big uh, liquid staking protocol, and uh, it is actually the biggest DeFi protocol in all of DeFi, and it is also the biggest staker of Ether, the biggest operator validators on on Ethereum. And they got slashed. You know, I mean, they're they very professional operation, but they do outsource some of their validator operations to various professional node operators. And in this case, it was launch nodes, which, you know, again, is, these are pros doing this. And they screwed up and they got... And so these 20 validators got slashed on Lido. Let's talk about Lido for a second here because it's kind of interesting. They had an operation on Solana and they voted this week to basically sunset that operation on Solana so they're just going to focus on Ethereum and essentially they weren't making that much money they had spent i i mean in the in the greater scheme of things these are tiny numbers there was like 700,000 bucks they had invested in the Solana thing and they got 200 grand of revenue you know i mean as you were saying, Sam, I mean, these protocols, raise tons of money and giant, sometimes billion dollar valuations. You're talking about something under a million dollars. I mean, anybody would love that, but the big idea is to invest in the future. Clearly, you know, it wasn't working out in the short term, but they just decided not to do it. Uh, any thoughts on that?
1: Just to back up a little bit, Lido is this like decentralized staking service where anybody, if they don't want to put up 32 Ethereum themselves to help operate Ethereum and get rewards, they can put. Any amount of Ethereum into Lido, get some sort of derivative token that acts like staked Ethereum and earns interest. And as a result, they're kind of part of this big Lido community, a pool of Ethereum that at this point is the biggest pool of staked Ethereum, the biggest single entity that is running the network. And they'll say that they're not a single entity, they're a decentralized service, they spread their stake, like you said, Brad, between a bunch of different parties, but they're kind of a controversial and incredibly key figure in the whole Ethereum staking story. But to get to your question and your broader point about Lido and Solana, one of the things that they cited is that just they being like the community is that costs simply wouldn't offset the projected revenues that they would earn from staking on Solana. Now that doesn't look like a, a great thing for Solana, but to zoom out further, that's just a point that I think applies to crypto in general and to staking in general. There's not that many blockchains that are going to be able to reward interest to users to entice them enough to put together the kind of operation that they would need to in order to essentially help facilitate the operation the chain so you're going to see in my view not only entities like Lido leaving Solana and probably not leaving Ethereum because of how core they are to that operation but you're probably going to see a lot of these proof of stake blockchains finding that their their operations aren't super sustainable because they can't entice people to come and run the chain they just don't have big enough rewards that was by the way one of the big things that people didn't like about proof of stake versus proof of work at the very beginning is that you couldn't really persuade people to come over if the rewards are too low you need a high price of your token margo
0: you mentioned it for a second in your answer that lido is so core to the ethereum ecosystem and i also just like want to get into that they've been getting a lot of heat for a while from the ethereum community because they're nearing this 33 percent threshold right of all staked eth and there was news this week, I believe, that Arbitrum was had a bunch of grants to give out, and then the community voted not to give it to the Lido folks. And that just sort of shows the backfire or like community sentiment in terms of where they are in the Ethereum ecosystem. So it's interesting that they're moving away from Solana to focus their efforts on Ethereum. But you know, there's some reckoning I think they're going to have to do with the community.
3: Just real quick, Margo, we're going to go to the break here in a second. But before we do, why 33%? There's a security reason for that.
1: Without getting super into it, like at 33%, they can slow down the network. pipes of the network that determine how transactions are settled. So if they can't you know, wholesale lie to the chain or stop the chain, they can really slow things down to a crawl. And that can create like, all of these sorts of incentive issues, and it'll just clog everything up.
3: I was just reading a primer on this, you know, at the Ethereum Foundation. And basically there's a super majority of the total validator votes that are needed to bring the finality. And so if you have at least one third or Mm -hmm. more, you can stop it. But anyway, okay, that is uh, pretty interesting stuff. But let's take a quick break. When we come back with our Protocol Village segment, we will take a deep dive into Stellar which is bringing smart contracts to the nine-year-old payments blockchain. We'll be right back.
2: Ready to create the next Web3 Unicorn? Go from concept to fully functioning DApp with AlgoKit. The all-in-one development package helps you get building on Algorand in less than 10 minutes. Let Algorand's advanced blockchain technology Lightning fast transaction speeds and instant finality be the rails for your next world class project. Head over to developer.algorand.org/algokit to download today.
3: Welcome back. All right, we're going to jump right into our Protocol Village segment. This week, we're talking about Stellar adding smart contracts. And this is a story that I wrote as our feature today for the Protocol Newsletter. And essentially, Stellar was kind of considered one of the OG blockchains. I joined Coindesk in 2019, and it was, you know, at that point, kind of maybe starting to a little bit Fade from the conversation there. It was not a huge something that people talked about regularly. And then, of course, we've had the past few years of kind of an explosion in Ethereum and all these layer twos and everything, and a bunch of other blockchains. And Stellar was not super part of that conversation, but they have continued to, to go this whole time. They're considered more of a payments blockchain. You know, they actually predate Ethereum by a year. And they were kind of matched up in the same category with the XRP Ledger, which is, you know, was was kind of uh, initiated by Ripple. Uh, It may have actually been called Ripple. In fact, the guy who built it, Jed McCaleb, is a former Ripple guy. And so they were just this payments blockchain. They did, you know, make some headway in the payment space. They have a partnership or a business agreement with MoneyGram, which has these kind of on the ground... Cash stores around the world, and people can basically use MoneyGram as an on-ramp, and then get get into Stellar that way. But now they have they're really trying to give themselves a facelift and move into the new era. They have this project called Soroban, is what my story was about, and it's led by a guy named Tomer Weller. I spoke with him, and you know he's you know all these people are so smart. <laughs> anyway, he's leading that project. They had their conference a few weeks ago in Madrid, the Meridian Conference. They had Idris Elba there, who was on stage with uh, Denel Dixon, the head of the Stellar Foundation. And I can tell you that my wife probably would have liked to have been on stage with Idris Elba based on the number of sighs that I used to hear when we were watching. wire but at any rate my joke was that sorobon which is the smart contracts project was the real star of the conference and you know they had like 22 panels on sorobon so that is kind of the major thrust of the of the stellar blockchain
0: i wanted to ask like why now smart contracts are not new There's so many. If they're trying to compete with Ethereum, there's so many other layer ones that have like a smart contract capability. Why in 2023 are they just now bringing smart contracts? Like, you know, there are other protocols that if they're trying to compete with Ethereum, they'll they'll look at some other technical features like account abstraction or EVM equivalent, you know, or EVM compatible. But I'm just curious, like, why in this moment if they said that?
3: You know, Margo, they set this plan in motion a couple of years ago. They have had some. Previous sort of ethereum e kind of things they have had they had an n f t project that was sort of built in natively to the protocol. I think they just got the picture after a while that the world was moving in this direction. They needed to have the programmability basically that Ethereum has. They do have this core advantage of having this deal with moneygram people come in. And then what do people do with that money? You Mm -hmm. know, they want it to stay there. So they want to have DeFi protocols. They want people to be able to do stuff, you know, just like they do stuff on all the other blockchains. And so I think they, you know, they kind of figured out maybe that they couldn't just be a payments blockchain I mean, Sam and I have written about the um, XRP ledger. I mean, they're kind of doing similar. You know, they're also trying to upgrade. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This week, we also had news of Bitcoin. You know, there was even news today about Bitcoin and the taproot assets and, you know, some new ordinal stuff. It's like these payment blockchains are are sort of upgrading. Yeah, a little bit. Getting a facelift. Um, Yeah. And
1: at a high level, like if you don't have smart contracts, that's one thing that a lot of other ecosystems have that you don't, that is a huge way to attract users and developers. So Mm -hmm. if you have developers building things onto your network, that's a huge pool of potential use cases and users. And that's just missing if you don't have smart contracts. So at the very least, if not, you know, a marketing move, if not just, you know, something that took a while that they eventually needed to get to and ended up getting to now, if not something that they wanted to use to compete with Ripple, which is, although not a one-to-one competitor to XLM, to Stellar, it is like a similar sort of thing um, at a high level. You know, having smart contracts is a is a really important way to attract users, keep attention, and keep momentum.
3: I agree with that, Sam. Uh, w- one of the points that I made in the story was that one thing that Stellar does have is they have this Stellar Development Foundation right. that Donnell Dixon heads. And it's got a lot of money. They've got $2.3 billion. <laughs> based on the current price of of the XLM tokens, which is what's in their treasury mostly. And they established a $100 million Soroban adoption fund, as you're saying, Sam, and that money is absolutely specifically earmarked to basically pay developers to build stuff on Stellar. And yeah, so that makes the difference. You know, I mean, people do respond to these incentives. And so that, again, I mean, it, it goes back to, one of this, the the core advantages they have from being an early mover.
1: Do you have any sense of whether Stellar has actually managed over the past several years of existence to attract users? You spoke last week about, I think it was last week or the week before about like also rands. What differentiates Stellar from some of these other, you know, quote unquote, first movers that raised a ton of money, but aren't a part of the main narratives that we seem to read about on crypto Twitter, crypto news, and, and so on.
3: I'll try to answer your question, and I probably don't have all the answers specifically, but they have a well-known brand. People know the name. They talk about their presence in emerging markets. They have managed to make headway in some emerging markets with some payments use cases, people using Stellar for various use cases in emerging markets. But uh, obviously, they're a fresh face on this block, you know. Um, in terms of of kind of the the Ethereum smart contracts world, and you know some of these websites that we we're talking about in the earlier segments, the, not not the L2 beat, but Defi Llama, you know, which is ranks all the pro- all the chains based on how much money is in, of TVL is uh, is on the chains overall. I mean, I did run the numbers on this. Stellar, for Ethereum, $190 billion. That is 65 times larger than Stellar's market cap. You know, they have 30 full-time developers compared with 1,901 developers for Ethereum, according to the Electric Capital Developer Report they have uh, defi protocols on ethereum according to defi llama 20 billion dollars of total value locked for stellar is 18.5 so i don't have those user numbers but you know we're talking about a, a much smaller project overall but it
0: sounds like they're trying to move away from just this payments blockchain to with smart contracts to attract other things, like whether it's dApps or other programs, if they mentioned what it is specifically they were looking to build after this, like, do they want this ecosystem to grow into is sort of what I'm curious to to learn about.
3: Well, they go back to, I mean, and maybe it sounds obvious, but financial applications, you know, that's what they talk about is their core focus is, is making stellar grade for financial applications and payments being, you know, primary among those And so, you know, I think they're probably just recognizing that it's not enough. You know, if you're going to do financial applications, you can't just be the wire. You know, you have to be the bank, (laughs) if that's a way to put it.
1: Broadly speaking, I do kind of put Stellar in this bucket of earlier projects that don't have smart contracts that aren't a part of this whole, you know, DeFi, smart contract, NFT wave that propelled um, a lot of the past few years of interest in crypto. And for that reason, it hasn't gotten a, a lot of attention, I think. But I don't know if that says anything about the the project itself. It's just a different kind of platform, product, protocol in, in the mold of, you know, these earlier remittance type applications and uh, use cases that we'd hear about with simple currency exchange protocols like, like Bitcoin.
3: Okay, well... Thank you so much to our listeners for joining us. Thank you, Margot. Thank you, Sam. Thanks to our our producer, Michelle Musso, who's been here the whole time. And that's it for us this week. Thank you for listening to The Protocol Podcast. You can listen to us weekly on Coindesk Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Protocol, on Coindesk.com. See you next week